0: When I was, when I was small, maybe like you, I used to play a game uh, with my friends called uh, musical chairs. We'd pray that in kids' church or youth group. You know, the object of the game was to be in possession of a chair when the music stopped. So all through life, it seems that we get caught up in that game, don't we? Sometimes without even knowing it, the decisions we make and the paths that we choose place us in different chairs, so to speak. I was thinking about chairs like the principal's chair, or the kitchen chair, or the rocking chair, uh, that recliner in your house, uh, the timeout chair, or maybe even worse, the electric chair. Uh, I want us to focus today on three chairs. Which chair are you sitting in? Uh, I preached this message before uh, when, I told some, when I told you I was uh, leaving. Um, one of my requests, I got a quick request about a few different sermons. Uh, and one of the requests was for the three chairs. Um, you know, the, uh, the three chairs is not like literally in the Bible. So don't go home and say, where's the three chairs? I don't remember ever reading that. The three chairs... Is a visual help uh, to us. It's uh, so a visual help to understand uh, a principle. So you won't be able to find the first chair, or the third chair in that in the scripture. Uh, I heard about it uh, probably 30 years ago, it made an impact on me. Um, I think it was first done by a pastor last name Walker in the 1950s. Uh, And then it's kind of evolved. It's definitely evolved in my life. Um, It's designed to help us think about where we sit spiritually in our relationship with God. And how to help others see how and where they sit about our relationship with God, relationship with our families. Um, And I've seen it over and over again. Uh, So um, in the Old Testament, you see examples of it like... um, we're going to talk today about Joshua and, and those that came after him. You can see this principle in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, you can see it in David, King David, and his son Solomon, and Rehoboam, Solomon's son. Paul talked about it in Corinthians where he talks about spiritual man, carnal man, and natural man. So what I'm trying to tell you is this is a scriptural principle uh, that gets described uh, in these three chairs. Uh, And what we're describing is spiritual drifting, uh, generational change, and a loss of passion for God. So uh, I'll introduce to you, this is the first chair uh, today for us. This is the second chair. And this is the third chair. Uh, This principle... Uh, for me, is best seen in what happened in the generations that follow Joshua in the Old Testament. Uh, Just to kind of give you some context, you know, Moses is the man called by God to lead the people out of exile and out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses raises up this leader, Joshua, to follow after him. And Joshua was an incredible leader. Some of your favorite scripture might be from Joshua 1. Uh, Pretty amazing. Now the uh, the scripture today that we're looking at is near the end of Joshua 24 and then rolling into Judges. So it's in your outline if you want to pick that up. You can certainly look at it in your script in your Bible, but I print that for you so that you can have it right there at hand uh, and look at it together. So here's Joshua. Moses has died. Joshua has been the leader, and now Joshua is at the end of his life. As a matter of fact, he's giving this farewell message to. Israel and to the people of Israel. Here's what he says. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers, served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Say that. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is illustrated by the first chair. Joshua 24, 31 and Judges 2, 7 explain what happened in the next generation. The second chair. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders. That's this chair. Who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Similar verse in Judges uh, 2. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. First chair, second chair, third chair, Judges 2.10. It reveals what happened in the third generation. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord died at the age of 110 years old and was buried within the boundaries of his inheritance, uh, Timnath hears in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash, and all that generation also gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that the Lord had done for Israel. Each of these chairs represents a different type of person a different level of faith, a different commitment uh, of faith toward God. So every person listening today, wherever you are, is sitting in one of these chairs. My goal is to help us recognize which chair you're sitting in and the results of that position. Here's the principle. You can always decide where you want to sit. This is not musical chairs. Somebody's not going to take it out from underneath you. You can always choose if you want to sit in the first chair, the second chair, the third chair. What you cannot choose is the consequences of your choice. You get to choose, but you cannot control what the consequences would be. So you'll notice in your outline that all three chairs... Um, what I'm trying to do, I preached this, this message as a series originally, like four weeks of it. So you're kind of getting four weeks in one. So we're just kind of coming together today. Uh, so what I'm trying to do is to help you uh, hold on to this piece of paper that would give you an idea of how these, how these fit together. Uh, so each of them is designed for us to give a description of each one of these chairs. So let's talk about the first chair. Now, the person that is represented in this chair, according to the scripture we read, is Joshua, right? Joshua is our person, um, so dedicated to God. He was part of those, remember, who were sent into the land to spy out the promised land. And Joshua and Caleb came back and said, we can do it. And the others doubted. So, the first chair... Uh, you know, the first chair person is not only Joshua. The first chair person is that person in your mind who has influenced you for Christ. Don't, don't you have some first chair girls in your life? Maybe grandma or somebody that really loved the Lord. Uh, a first chair man of God, a first chair pastor, somebody that that definitely lived in the first chair. That's who you're thinking about today. So, what is the relationship uh, with the Lord? This person in the first chair knows God. I mean, first-hand relationship with God, right? That was Joshua. Uh, The person in this chair, Joshua represented those people who saw the miracles of God. What did they see? They saw God take care of them. They saw God break down the walls of Jericho. They saw God lead them through the wilderness and right through the Red Sea. And not only that, not only big events, but they saw God daily and over the years leading and guiding their life. So what's the the characteristic? The key characteristic of the first chair is commitment. Uh, Multiple uh, kind of characteristics here, but the main characteristic of this first person, first chair person is commitment. Having a commitment to God, a personal relationship with God. For us in our language, that, that's really such key. This person is not just religious. This person is not just a church goer. This person has a, a knowing personal relationship uh, with God. Uh, not only did they know God, but they have passion. That's the, that's the next characteristic there. Passion. A burning heart uh, for the things of God. So the, this first chair person, the result is um, seeking uh, God, seeking God first, a desire to know him, um, seeking God's work in our life. You know, the, the, the work of God is that comes in, um, the result is like convictions, right? Convictions. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That sounds like a conviction, doesn't it? We're going to serve the Lord no matter what. I'll just be real personal about this chair. Um, There's no doubt that my mother sat in this chair. Like, I was raised by somebody that sat in this chair. Um, You know, I learned pretty early on that there were things that you can do and there are things that you cannot do when you're raised by a first-chair person. Anybody got an amen for that? Yep um n- not not perfect but full of convictions and then i started picking up on those convictions um i'm pretty sure because of mom uh i never smoked i was tempted people tried to get me to, um i have never drank alcohol uh not even once um i could always i could always feel my mother you know what i'm talking about you know, you you can feel those convictions of this first year of uh, no gambling um, you know just not do it you know some when i first moved here people some people would say to me you should go out to the boat and have you know and eat out there the food is pretty good you know in 15 years i've never been to the boat never i just can't do it now i'm not i'm not saying i mean don't write me or anything about all that i'm i'm fine i I just can't do it, but it's because of convictions. Sometimes I'll say, well, I can't do that or this, and uh, even things in the, in the church or, th- you know, just whatever, and I'll say, well, I, don't, I can't do that. Well, where's that in the Bible, Pastor? Well, I don't know where it is in the Bible. It's probably not in there. It's just conviction. You know what I'm talking about? See, that, that's the impact of the first chair on you, um, where you, it's how you treat other people how you meet the needs of others. It's uh, honoring Christ, honoring marriage, honoring my children. Even the kind of pastor I am is so impacted by this chair. that The first chair person is uh, wholehearted for God. You know that love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? That's, that's this person. Uh, the person in the per- first chair realizes that they, uh, it, they need to confess sin. So what I mean by that is like short accounts with God. I'm not bringing things into my life. I'm not a perfect person, but if there's sin in my life, I need to go to God and get that confessed and and maintain those short accounts with God so that I'm right with God. And really the quality is seeking to please God. So convictions that then lead to seeking to please God. So what is the primary motivating question of the first chair? The motivating question is, what does God think? We used to say, what would Jesus do? How does this situation fit into my relationship with God? What does the Bible say? So how how does the first chairperson feel about the Bible? Well, the the Bible is the word of God, a life-giving book. Meditate on it. Build your life on it. How does the first-year person think about God? Well, they think about God as a personal friend, a personal relationship, a deep relationship with Jesus, where we gather to worship and we live our lives depending on Him. How does the first-year person think about prayer? Oh, my. The first-year person is linked to God through prayer, a deep, unending, daily Personal conversation with God. C.S. Lewis said, One thing Christianity can never be is moderately important. The first chair says, It's all about God. See, there's a huge difference between having interest in God and being committed to God. When you're interested in something, you will do it when it's convenient. But when you're committed to something, you do it. You follow it. No, no excuses. Only action. So, just a little review. Um, chair one is commitment. The first chairperson is a believer in Jesus, but has gone beyond just accepting salvation as my relationship with God, but willingly placing myself under the authority of God and his word and his direction. This person knows the Lord as a personal friend and a savior and is developing a meaningful, growing relationship with him and for those that they're responsible for. They are deeply committed to Jesus Christ in all they do. This is God's favorite chair. This is God's favorite chair. It's not on your outline, but Philippians 3 7 to 11, the Apostle Paul uh, gives you some perspective about this chair. He says, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and somehow to maintain to the resurrection of the dead. This is the first chair. Pretty good. Not always really comfortable, but just the right spot. The first chair. The second chair. The second chair person uh, is the generation that was after Joshua, they call in the Bible, they call them the elders uh, after him. They are the next gen. You, know, you notice how, how we use that phrase these, these days? Uh, what is the next gen? You'll see, if you watch the NFL, they give you next gen stats. Or if you, if you notice in the uh, society around us, always talking about what is, what is the voice of the next uh, generation? So chair number two, uh, they, they know God as well. They know God, but they know God in a more second-hand way. If you notice in those scriptures, it said that this group of people saw the miracles, and this group of people knew about the miracles. Any change in that, you think? Big change, right? Saw the miracles, knew about the miracles, uh, things that they had heard about what had happened. Uh, Key characteristic here, commitment over here, this one is compromise. Compromise. Can you hear the voice of the second chair? Why can't we do that, Dad? Sounds like legalism to me. So it's recognizing uh, this desire to have this compromise. Uh, It helps us to see the, the contrast between Responsibility and religion. Responsibility and religion. Um, Is it personal or is it just religious? You know, as a pastor, uh, I see this all the time. The difference between somebody that has a personal relationship with Jesus and somebody that has a a religious uh, experience or is looking for uh, religion. Um, This chair could be described as apathy. Apathy. Versus passion on this side, instead of the fire burning, uh, it might be. Um, you know, this is not a bad person. As a matter of fact, a lot of times these are some of you, some of your best church members right here, uh, because they've seen how God works. But sometimes when you've seen it, but now you're just uh, it's it's what you've been taught. You know, it creates beliefs instead of convictions. Do you, There's a little difference between beliefs and convictions, isn't there? You know, we we always in membership class, I give out belief statements. You know, I don't give out conviction statements (laughs) because conviction is so personal. You know, secondhand knowledge develops beliefs. While the elders after Joshua believed that God was powerful, the opening chapters of Judges reveal that they didn't trust God to drive out the enemy. Remember, that was their challenge, move into the promised land, drive out the enemy, and, um, but, but they never could do that. As a matter of fact, they decided to marry into the culture, and it became a lifetime difficulty for them. Wholehearted, half-hearted. Committed, compromised. Compromised beliefs um, sounds like, well, that's just old-fashioned. We live in a different time and a different culture. Oh, I can handle that. I know that you, you didn't believe in that, but it's, it's okay for seeing in ways that cause us to, believe, to, to please others. So instead of seeking what God wants, it may be more about what do a, what a, what a people think, seeking to please others. How, how will I be viewed by my friends? How will I be viewed by others? How do I fit in? They drink, so I drink. They cuss, so I cuss. They mock the church and Jesus, and I go along. They believe this and that. And even though I'm fully aware that the Bible does not teach that, the Bible might just be old and wrong in some places, right? The second chair says, oh, it's a good book, relative to my situation, of course. might be helpful. It'll bring me a little comfort, but not conviction it's okay. You can read it. It might be helpful to you. The second chair. God, for the person in the second chair, is a savior, but maybe not fully Lord of their life. A religious relationship, uh, maybe through the church or doctrine, but not that deep personal relationship. Prayer for them, a ritual for church or for mealtime or difficult situations but rarely private and personal. Again, a quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, The safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Judges 2.12 said they followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. I sort of think of chair two as like a sliding scale. <laughs> you ever seen those? You know, it just uh, you kind of put the, the scale wherever it needs to be in relationship to what you're trying to weigh out. So if your spiritual connection to God is on a sliding scale, that's trouble, right? It shifts. It moves depending on what's going on. So chair number two, compromise. The second chair represents someone who has received new life in Christ but hasn't decided how little or how much they will follow them in the details of their life. He claims, they claim to believe all the same truths as someone in the first chair follows a Christian maybe lifestyle in most ways but it's changeable. It can be unstable and inconsistent in their life. Okay, let's talk about children Who grow up in a Christian home, there's this tendency, this is in the Bible, that a person that sits in the first chair, their family can easily slide and raise children that are in the second chair. Don't raise your hand, but I know that there's some of you in this room like that. Sliding from chair one to chair two. The question becomes, how do we pass the baton to our children? I know you in this room. You want your children to be in chair one. Just nod your head. I know it. Me too. So what is my intentionality about helping my children sit in the first chair when the tendency and the relationship to the culture makes them want to sit in the second chair? Then there's the third chair. Uh, We would call this um, the chair of compromise. The chair of... uh, of really conflict uh, with God. Um, Whereas there was concession over here, uh, maybe I could do this or that, uh, this chair has determined to live in defiance over against God, Um, recognizing, and I'm going to move on here just a little bit if you want. Um, So we recognize that chair number three, uh, where we had committed and we had compromised now we have conflict or disregarding. Now, who is in this chair? Uh, in our scripture, Joshua, the, another generation, and this is the next generation after that. They raised up another uh, generation after them. Uh, so conflict, uh, disregard for that, this is another generation. And so the, um, you know, this, this person in this chair is not really interested in the things of God. Uh, Let's just kind of follow along. Let's go with the flow. Uh, We would describe this person uh, not apathetic, but lost. You know, over here, we had convictions and beliefs. And here's the curse of our times. Instead of convictions and beliefs, we get opinions. Right? Isn't that the curse of our time? Is that every single person has an opinion about whatever, and that opinion comes out like truth. They don't have a heart for God. The person here even has trouble accepting wise counsel, because the response is, that's just the way you see it. It's not how I see it. And this chair seeks to please self, seek to please God, seek to please others, seek to please myself. So the prime, primary motivating question in chair number three is, what do, you, what do I think? It's okay for you, but it's not for me. What's the Bible in this, this perspective? The Bible here is an ancient relic that speaks to another culture or another time and that the Bible is really irrelevant. You can just ignore it. God, pretty much ignore God and doesn't want to be talked to or bothered with him. Doesn't that bother you? Probably got some in your family that you want to talk to God, and they want absolutely nothing to do with it. Despite what grandma said or what uh, somebody in that first chair, they've slid all the way to the third chair. Prayer, don't believe in God, don't believe in prayer, don't practice prayer except in dire uh, emergencies. Um, The third chair stands for someone who has not responded personally to God. A third-chair person may have always known uh, they weren't a Christian or may be confused about where they are spiritually, especially if they have grown up in a Christian family surrounded by God talk. Um, They may look, act, and even people might think they're Christians, but they know in their heart they have not turned their lives to Christ. So this person, until they repent and surrender to Jesus for salvation, is really at odds with Christ at odds with God and his purposes for their life. So it's a chair of complacency, self-satisfaction, self-focus, the chair of comfort, a chair of lukewarmness. You could get all kind of names for it. Um, See, it it, it kind of starts out like God and me. God's way up here. I'm way down here. God. God and me. God and me. God and me. Me and God. Me and God. Me and God. Me. That's that's the slide that's happening there. First chair, second chair, third chair. Where are you? Where do you sit? you know, it's not automatic. It's not an automatic thing. Just because you had first chair influence in your life doesn't mean you're automatically going to be in the second chair, but it's probably going to happen, but you're going to have to make some intentionality. You're going to have to choose. You have a voice. You are not stuck. You have the opportunity to make a decision about what chair you choose to live in, in your relationship with God. Glory to God. We have a choice. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 from the message says, What happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard, things like Affection for others, exuberant about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in your heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates uh, things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. See, you have a move. You have a choice. You know, sometimes people think how important heritage is. Now, I, I love my heritage. I talked to you about my mother. Uh, heritage is really important to me. But God helped me to realize that legacy is way more important than heritage. Some people get mixed up about that. Like, we're so, bl- see, heritage is your past. It's how you grew up. It's the people in your life. It's all, th- those are wonderful things. But more important than heritage is the legacy that you're going to leave. And your legacy is defined in these chairs. You're going to live in the first chair, second chair, the third chair. What choice are you going to make? How are you going to live? What choices will you make? What impact will you have on those around you? Will you have greater legacy than even heritage? You know, they're getting ready to have the Summer Olympics. And one of the most exciting events of the Summer Olympics is the relay races. Don't you love those? They got four men or four women, and they're running the race, and they all run one fourth uh, or, or of that in, of that entire race. And so the athletes are chosen, and they're going to run this distance. And the key to to running the relay race is what? Somebody tell me. Passing the baton, passing the baton. There's so much about passing the baton. And how are you going to pass the baton from the first chair to those in the second chair? You know, a few years ago, like for years, the United States was dominant in the relay races. I think uh, 2008, remember that? 2008, um, both the men and the women in one of the key key, uh, relay races, uh, both of them dropped the baton, disqualified, Not, not even involved in the medals. The runners were some of the best in the world, but what they failed at was passing the baton. See, one generation can be very believing, full of convictions, but if we fail to pass it on our faith to the next generation, they end up in failure. So some questions. Uh, Which of these chairs best describes your condition right now? And how about this? If you choose to do nothing different than what you're doing now, Where will the people around you end up? How will they be impacted by your choice? And what is something that you could do, pray about, think about, desire to change in your life that would move people in your life from the second chair or the third chair to the first chair? Here's some things you can do. Number one, get in the first chair. Get in the first chair. I spent my whole pastorate here trying to get you in the first chair, right? Talk to you so often, week after week after week, about your relationship with Christ. This concept is an absolutely transforming family concept. Dad, are you in the first chair? Mom, are you in the first chair? Because those people around you, those little people, or the family, they're looking at you. They're watching you. And it's never too late to get in the first chair. If you're in the first chair, remain committed. Be faithful. Have a daily personal relationship with Jesus. The first chair. How about the second chair? If you're in the second chair, I invite you to reevaluate your relationship with God. Decide that you're going to move to the first chair. It kind of looks like that sometimes, doesn't it? (laughs) Determine to get into the first chair. And if you're you're in the third chair, the only thing I can say about the third chair is really uh, repent. Tell God you're sorry, but decide, I'm getting in the first chair. That's the only way I'm going to make it. Are you going to stay there? Well, let's see. How about that? (laughs) Would you close your eyes? Where do you sit? What's your relationship with God? What's your relationship with your children, those people around you? Is your relationship with God based on your parents, your grandparents, your church, your denomination, your doctrine? Or is it your culture and your friends and your future? Do you, do you, do you sit in the first chair with Jesus? Really, I love this illustration. You know I do. But honestly, what it really comes down to is what is my posture toward Jesus? And I got this suit on, and my knee is not right, so I'm not going to do it. But if I could, I would lay down on the floor right here and tell you that that's the place. Just lay yourself out before Jesus because ultimately, that's all that matters. When you stand before him face to face, that's what's gonna matter. What kind of relationship did you have with Jesus? Please think through this. Think about where you are and don't stay in some relationship outside of the first chair. Know Jesus, love Jesus. Be committed to Jesus. Be passionate about Jesus. And if you can't get there, let us help you. That's what the church is all about. It's what all of our pastors are about. Trusting him. Lord, thank you for this incredible truth. Oh, we could have sang songs and closed, but it's it's just better that we just quietly sit before you for a few moments before we go. Lord, these thoughts can transform our families. Help us, Lord, not to just let the culture wrap us up. Help us not to just have beliefs about spiritual things or church stuff Help us have convictions that that guide our families. Lord, we're not looking for legalism or trying to push our children or people in our life away. We're just trying to stand for something that is right, that is clearly the Word of God, and to be in a right relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. So I thank you, Lord. I thank you this morning for all the people in the first chair that are watching or are sitting here. I pray for my friends that are in the second chair, that maybe they recognize themselves today. No judgment on them. Lord, I think they know Christ. But they may be be just deciding when when they might compromise and maybe not fully committed uh, as Lord of their life, allowing Jesus to be absolutely first in every moment, in every situation. And Lord, I, I thank you for some of our children. Some of those that are around us have decided that the world has a better idea. But Lord, we have not given up on them. Praise God. You're still working in in their lives. You're working in the lives of those that, that feel lost. And I believe, Lord, because they have recognized it, we just pray that you would help us to pass the baton as effectively as we can. And not to do it in our own way, Lord, but teach us what, how it's going to be received, how it's going to be heard by each individual child or each individual friend or that nephew or that niece or that grandchild or that great-grandchild or somebody that you just bring into our life or a neighbor across the street. Help us to pass the baton well. Lord, I thank you for those that helped me to realize what the first chair looked like. I could have easily been a third chair person. I could have ended up just in the second chair. But I thank you for helping me to get to the first chair. Help us to stay there. In Jesus' name, amen.